You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Hi, everyone. This is Hal Luftig with my Broadway podcast network show, Broadway Biz, where every episode I will chat with my friends, some of the top theater professionals in the business, about the business of Broadway. Sandy Block currently serves as communications strategist at the Roundabout Theater Company here in New York. Sandy also served as associate producer and marketing director for Fiddler on the Roof in Yiddish and the Broadway revival of Children of Alessica, both of which I had the honor of producing. I think Sandy has one of the best marketing minds in the business, so it's a true pleasure for me to welcome Sandy Block to Broadway Biz. Hey. Hi, Sandy. Hey, how how's it going? What's up? Good. I'm great. How are you? Great. Uh, so, Sandy, what is the what is marketing, and how does marketing actually differ from advertising? What's What's funny about that is the word marketing means a lot of different things to a lot of different people in the theater business. I think sometimes by necessity and sometimes just over the years of of the nomenclature we've developed, we sort of tend to refer to marketing as two things. And I don't think, uh, quite honestly, the limitations of of our business and our industry, I think we actually only get to tackle a small fraction of what out in the world is actually marketing. So so marketing to me encompasses everything you might do to adjust and 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 finesse how you put your product or your show in front of the public. However, in our business there's like some fundamental things like supply and demand 
which is an inherent principle of marketing, that we are practically incapable of adjusting. We make eight a week for the most part. We make eight a week in February. We make eight a week in in December. We make eight a week in July. Um, a family show, you know, still doesn't have an 11 a.m. curtain. And a show with with absolutely no appeal to students and families still has to do a couple of matinees a week. Advertising is purely the the direct uh, promotional communications you put out. So advertising is a small slice of marketing, mm-hmm. and marketing live entertainment is a small slice of everything that marketing can actually comprise. Does that does that make sense? And was that a way longer answer than you were expecting? No, no. There's no long answer. There's no long answer. And you knew you were talking to me, so you were expecting long answers. Yeah. Um, so I just want to, you know, break that down for our listeners a little bit, because I think most people would think of advertising as, you know, the things you put in the New York Times ads or the thing that goes on your website or the the graphic that, you know, may be in Times Square on a billboard. Um, uh, and, and marketing is that, you know, other catch basin. Uh, that they don't really know what it is, or even when they're being targeted by marketing, they, they're not aware of it. Do you think that theater could adjust its marketing seasonally? I mean, yes, and we do. The mountain that we had to move to establish seven o'clock performances on Tuesday was massive. The pushback, the fear, the the anger, the competition for just saying at the time, and I remember this well, but that was marketing and we just don't tend to think of it as broadly as we should. Tuesday nights were the worst night of the week for many, many shows. But it was a way to address not just what we say, but what we do. Everybody finally got on board to launch something called Tuesdays at 7 when the public had said, we would like to go early and let's give Tuesday night an actual, an actual distinction. Make it actually something else that is available, which is if you want that choice, if you want to get home early, if you don't want a big dinner, you can go seven o'clock and get home at get out at nine thirty if you like that sort of thing. And it turned out the public loved that sort of thing. And very quickly, Wednesday became our worst night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had it on Thursday too. There's also, oh God, again, it's going to be a long answer. But there's also, if you look at the movie business, they mm-hmm. decide when. They are launching a film based on its appeal, the competition. Something else Mm -hmm. huge is opening that Friday, so we're bumping Mm -hmm. a week. Mm -hmm. Broadway doesn't get to do that. There's a theater available and you're in rehearsal. You jump. You don't get to choose 
I want to launch, you know, this is a family show. I want to launch in the spring. Your actor's Mm. ready, your director's ready, and there's a building available. You don't get to choose that based on what the public wants. You get to choose that based on the 90 things you as a producer hope to align Mm. and get to land at any one moment. So there are things we can do. But when you're talking about live actors and live everybody, it's really hard. Yeah, to yeah, it is. And you know, you the way you choose a date to open is prior to your opening, you have to register that date with the Broadway League, which we've talked about in earlier episodes. If that particular date is taken, um, you're not you can't open the, your show on that date. You know, if something, heaven forbid, happens to the, sh- to the second show that's, you know, wanting to come in on that date, if something happens, and the reason why they need a new date is because the show has, you know, something technically went wrong or, or you know, whatever glitch, the glitch may be, the star is sick, and you're getting down to the Tony cutoff date, you have to open, you know, and so there have been instances where a show is opened on a Wednesday matinee or, a, you know, on a Sunday afternoon. It's it's it does happen. But, you know, Sandy is right. It is predicated on a whole bunch of different factors. So but I mean, but, but for example, if there are two, if two producers mm-hmm. have had two very, very family-friendly musicals on mm-hmm. track. There is nobody looking at the overall marketing picture to say for the public's concern mm-hmm. and for the benefit of each show, let's delay one of them six months. Disney would not launch. Disney the movie studio would not launch two giant tentpole animated features within four or five weeks of each other. Broadway would in a minute because they were each on their own path. And Mm -hmm. suddenly you realize, I don't mean these specific shows, but suddenly you realize Cinderella and Anastasia are opening the same day or the same week. That's not good marketing. That's flooding the public with two competitive things, and they're going to divide the business somehow. Marketing would tell you, hold one of them for six months, and they'll both do better. Mm-hmm. So we end up with with our limited toolkit trying mm-hmm. to make up for that through the marketing and advertising that is at our disposal. But it's an ex- mm-hmm. it's an existential. Um, we are we are able to operate with a very small slice of the spectrum of everything that other industries have at their command. What a wonderful segue into into my next question. Um, what are some of the things that you might consider um, in how to break away from the pact? You know, does that always imply you know just throwing more money at it oh no absolutely not i mean i think the hardest thing to do in our business because because it takes so long to get a show up it is so difficult to maintain perspective you know your show 
You love your show. You have been living, breathing, revising, and discussing your show. I mean, okay, Hal, here's a question for you. In the last two decades, mm. what's the quickest? What's the quickest you've put up a show really from um from from initial impulse to having it be on stage on Broadway. The quickest? Yeah. yeah, I agree with you. I'm going to say four, five, maybe six years. The ability, the ability to maintain perspective in talking to somebody who has not been in the soup mm-hmm. is that that's 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 an almost impossible assignment to ask a producer to do mm-hmm. right yes no it, it you know it is um but that then again it lead it, it makes me ask in your opinion so i know i'm doing a show i know i'm doing uh becoming nancy which has in, been in development and workshopping and all of that you know four years now and we have at least another year before you know we can you know certainly we're on hiatus now, but, but, but before that can ever have some realization of a, of a commercial production. Uh, but from the beginning, we always talked about what that look, you know, quote unquote, the look of the show, the feel of the show uh, would do. So, you know, how far in advance do you think it's advantageous to have that person on as part of the creative process? I would say, I don't think there's a flat answer to that. I don't think there's a no. number, but having worked, which which makes me particularly weird answering this question, having worked on both sides of that equation, mm-hmm. both on the producing side and on the advertising marketing side, I would put forth to you a thought Having mm-hmm. somebody on the advertising slash marketing side really early to get a sense of the real inner the real inner heartbeat of your show, the real pul- human pulse of it. I think if you are working with an advertising or marketing consultant agency, whomever's on that team. You will get to a place of trust and how much you think you need to be allocating in the early stages of an ad budget, a marketing budget. I think a trusted consultant or a trusted partner can start to inform that. I think it's I think it's more important to think big picture and I think producers very often want to know how fast are they going to have artwork or how fast are they going to have a logo. And honest to god, I think you should try to delay that as much as you can, especially in the current world that's not based on your New York Times print ad and your billboard. I think to a degree your visual identity is not as important as your personality and a sense of how much you're going to spend. And knowing that sooner, I don't think it's the first step. And I think it's something producers ask for first. And I don't believe that 
the people you are working with can even do a really good job of coming up with that because the show you intend to produce may not be the show you will actually have up on its feet. I don't think shows should advertise their intentions. I think shows should advertise their, their feeling. And I don't think you know the feeling of a show that early. Does that make sense? Well, yeah, totally, totally. And I just, uh, I want to mention, uh, to our listeners, because I've said this before that every show that I produce, uh, win, lose or draw, I try to walk away from it having a tangible lesson that I've learned or um, a knowledge about something that I previously didn't have. And uh, it so happens that you're my guest and you taught me two in very important things, which is one, uh, in, in the early days when we were still lighting theaters with candles. <laughs> <laughs> I remember those two. You know, a producer would walk into an ad agency and say, show me some artwork. And then we would spend, you know, weeks of, I like the color of this one, <laughs> but the lettering of that one. And I like her dress in this, you know, and it was, you know, it was tedious. And I never knew, or never thought about it to the point that you uh, pointed out to me, is that that process is not only extremely time-consuming and in some times tedious for the agency and for the people who are doing this, but it's expensive. You are, you, are, uh, you are dedicating a lot of resources within your company to create these, these things. Um, and I never knew that. So I think, you know, we might be moving towards uh, an era where, as you say, it's, we walk into an agency and say, forget the artwork. Don't show me any artwork. We'll get there. Uh, but I'd rather hear how you feel about the show and what are some of your ideas about how you will, I guess this is marketing, sell the show. What is our message to the public? Um, because you also you know, taught me very wisely that a, a piece of artwork is not going to, you know, sell the show. It's that's not its job, you know, to look at it and go, oh, that's you know, I, I get what that is. And so, uh, I, you know, I know a lot of people, myself included, have adapted to that new way of thinking. Um, so, with that in mind, wait, Sam, can I can I jump in for a yeah. sec? Sure. Before you jump to your question, mm -hmm. if Les Mis had flopped. Back in 1987. That's right. If Les Mis right. had flopped, a woodcut of a sad little girl would have gone down in history as one of the worst art images ever. <laughs> there is no meeting. There is no focus group that that art would have survived. Mm -hmm. in, a, in today's world, we, we are addicted to data, and data is great for informing choices but not making them and there is no focus group and there's probably no committee of producers that would have not said you've been in enough meetings and you've been in enough meetings with me where if i had come out with a woodcut of a very sad big-eyed girl you would have said show me something else that doesn't make me 
feel like crap. The show's already called Les Miserable. Show me something else quickly or you are fired. <laughs> don't you think? <laughs> well, you know, I don't I, I'm gonna to uh I'm going to rebuff that by saying I never said that. <laughs> but I'm sure I'm sure there are producers who have. Uh, but they certainly were not me. But yes, I, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. And there. So the assignments. So the assignment sometimes. The assignment sometimes is branding or establishing yeah. something that may not right. be right, but that mm-hmm. is ownable and distinctive, and has legs for the future. But maybe is not. Mm-hmm. Doesn't do everything you think it needs to do because what it needs to do is be yours. Right, right. That's very true. Um, that, that's that's very true. And you know, I'm wondering, in your opinion, um, given that we agree that you know the whole feel of the show should be be the focus until we know what the show really is and what the look should be. Um, when you come on to a show as a marketing supervisor or consultant. What is the f- your first step in that process? W- what is the first thing you think of? What is your first consideration um, to to get that that ball rolling down the hill? I'm going to say it's probably two things, and then I may end up saying more than two, but I think it's going to be two, which is what not what trying to have enough conversations and spend enough time talking both with the people with whom I'm working as well as with the people involved with the show itself to think about it from the audiences or the potential ticket buyers point of view not what do we want to say but what did they want to hear meaning what is the visceral theatrical experience you Mm. are offering not what Mm. is the content of your show are you promising me what is the promise of these actors doing this material telling this story what's it gonna feel like because Mm -hmm. while we Mm -hmm. have to suggest something about what it's quote-unquote about The reason people go is because it is the right event at the right time, and it's a feeling they want to have. How do we find a niche? How do we find a feeling? How do we find something, a color, a graphic, a feel, um, an emotion that somehow is distinct, even by a little bit, from everything else that's playing right now. You know, how soon do you want your artwork? Well, if I don't know what environment we are opening in, that choice may have been correct or incorrect because I know what's coming down the pike. But if something unexpected lands big, and it does every year, something we expect to succeed fails and something we expect to fail succeeds. So what we are asking the public to choose among is very hard to predict. What else is in the marketplace and how is this going to stand out? 
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You know, Sandy, I remember when we started working on Fiddler on, on the roof in Yiddish. Uh, and we were trying to figure out what that particular artwork uh, would look like. I remember we came into the ad agency one day and you said something that at first I laughed at, and then it's very true. You said, we shouldn't focus on what we like, but rather what we thought would work. So the question is, how do you balance you know, your personal taste when you're evaluating, you know, artwork or marketing ideas or anything like that. When we were just talking about the time spent prior to an artwork presentation about talking about the show and how it feels and how it might feel to an audience and what the experience is. So if you've boiled it down to a handful of goals, you can establish some criteria and say, we have decided, we have been talking back and forth for weeks, maybe longer. We could talk about a handful of things. Then when you're looking at artwork, you're measuring it against criteria, not just because artwork is so subjective, Mm -hmm. not just what is visually appealing or aesthetically satisfying because that can always get fixed and it's so difficult to look at stuff and check your subjectivity first and put it away so i remember that meeting very distinctively Mm -hmm. there were things that were there was a, a variety of stuff actually i'm tell i'm thinking that was children of a lesser god not fiddler because we honed in on this on Fiddler quickly. Children of a Lesser God was a bigger, a bigger thing to try and solve. And I remember saying, before you react to colors and feelings and choices, this one is playing up love story. And it lands love story. This one is playing up the divide between these two people. This one is playing up a powerhouse performance. Let's choose which of those feels like a better choice to make and which of these is not ticking any of the boxes of the criteria we assigned to ourselves. One mm. of the favorite things a producer ever said to me was they were, they were leaning toward one piece of art and they saw my face kind of get <laughs> sad and it was somebody I'd worked with a long time and he said, what? I'm like, no, 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 it's fine. 
a couple of my coworkers like kicked me under the table because it's like, oh my god, they're about to buy something. Why are you screwing this up? <laughs> and I was like, yes, that is the better looking poster. That one over there says and does the things we said we wanted to accomplish in this marketplace for this play. That does it better. It's just not as pretty. Damned if the producer didn't say to me, I see your point. I think you're right. Can I have this one for my house? And let's use that. And let's use that one. It wasn't ugly. It wasn't ugly, but it wasn't as beautiful as the wrong one. And I was like, wow, that's a producer I admire. And that's a producer who's willing to check his subjectivity and make this be a marketing choice, not a subjective taste choice. How do you know if the artwork is doing what you want it to do, which is evoking the feeling or the spirit or uh, you know, the, the, the flavor of the show that, that you'll get? We, we, we don't. Okay. There's a famous quote. I want to say it's from the the guy who ran like the old way before both our times, Wanamaker's department store, where he said, I am positive. Somebody can, can look this up. Um, I am positive that 30% of my advertising is working. I just don't know which 30%. <laughs> it has forever been thus. That sort of goes back to the lame is joke from before, because if you had shown in a focus group, like, like we were saying, here's like, you know, hot soldiers at the barricade, because you know somebody in a focus group would say, but all those young men, they're so attractive. I would go see that. And then you put up like this sad little girl with big eyes. They all would have said, that doesn't tell me anything about the play. It's not about a girl. It's about Jean Valjean, it's about a guy and fighting a, fighting a, a, you know, a sergeant who's chasing him. It, it says the right thing at its core, and it's distinctive. How many times do you say, you and I have had this conversation, but why are people not buying tickets? Or why aren't more people buying tickets? And I always kid with you and say the same thing. Because most of the time, people are not buying tickets. That's their default behavior. Look, just now, I didn't buy a ticket. Oh, look, I just didn't buy a ticket again. <laughs> it's, it's, we got to compel a bunch of, I want to find out why the people who did do, because not buying a ticket is not an action. Right. It's a lack of action. So let me ask you, what catches your eye as a ticket buyer? What, what do you respond to? I think I respond most of all. That's a good question, but I think I respond most of all, and it's hard sometimes, and I think it's hard for all of us as consumers, because we, we wouldn't be in this business for the most part if we were also not avid, voracious theater lovers and theater goers. So can you look at something and take off your your producing side hat, whether that's actively producing or being on the marketing side or whatever, and, and put on your theater fan hat, how quickly can something that looks, honestly, first of all, distinctive, something mm. that looks, that doesn't look like, that, that looks unexpected, that looks, that, it, that, that strikes me viscerally, 
not intellectually. It could be a color. It could be a type treatment. It could be just a feeling or an impact where I'm like, oh, and you know, we'll, we'll, we'll throw around like jargon words, like cut through the clutter or that's just wallpaper. Um, but that's sort of the world. It's like, I think we tend to look too deep. Is this, is this communicating everything we want? That's why I keep going back to, does it feel and look like its own thing? How quickly can it, will I recognize it when it, when I see it the second time? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like, makes sense. Yes, completely. completely. Um, yeah. You know, I have a, everything you have said has been so, you know, intriguing and interesting that I've had now more questions than we possibly have time to. So I think one of the only, you know, solutions that I can think of is you're just going to have to come back and we can, we can finish uh, all the other questions that I didn't get to, but I still have a few minutes and I want to ask you um, one, one more question. Then we have a wrap up set of questions. So uh, before we have to leave, um, I would love your opinion on having been on both sides of the table, as it were, um, what do you think makes an effective producer? What do I think makes an effective producer? Bum, 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 bum. In all areas, I think the, the, the magic, I don't know, what do we, what does, I think the superpower is almost always perspective. Mm. It's whether the thing you're looking at at this moment is a hill you're going to die on or not. How many times have we all seen a show out of town and that wasn't very good? And when it finally gets to New York, and you and I have talked about a bunch of these, and let's not name names because it's safer. (laughs) But you look and you go, they went out of town for the life of me. I Yes, there's a new song in Act Two, sure. And they replaced, you know, the choreographer or somebody. And for the life of me, I can't tell you what's different. And then you see the producers afterward, and they're, they're like, well, well, what'd you think? What'd you think? Did you see, you know, her dress in Act Two? It's belted. You're like, what? <laughs> oh, you're, you're Eureka. <laughs> and that can apply to your marketing. How? Because everybody gets in the weeds. It's everybody's job to get in the weeds. I want the lighting designer to be obsessed on every Verilite and every gel. And I want the choreographer to be obsessed on everybody's toe placement. And I want the art director from the ad agency to be obsessed about the typography. But I want the producer to say, I thought we said we were looking to convey more more pain that this was going to be something that was really going to move you you lost me there we're not doing yeah. the thing we said we were going to do are we saying mm-hmm. the thing that are, are we serving a bigger purpose or are we serving everybody's little thing for the day and i think the producer's job is always to pull the lens out wider wow great answer great answer i must say um okay well sandy uh as all good things, this has been so much fun, but as all good things, it must come to an end. But I do asterisk 
that with saying, I'm just going to have you back. That, that's it. Cool, cool, cool. That'd be fun. But before we finish, uh, you're not Uh-oh. done yet. I am going to ask you three rapid fire wrap up questions. Uh, I ask these to every guest. And all I ask is that you just give me the first thing that pops into your mind. Don't overthink it. Okay. Okay. So here's the first one. What is your favorite musical? Sweeney Todd. Okay. What is the wackiest moment you've ever experienced in the theater? Um, wackiest moment. Honestly, sure. Linda Ronstadt in Pirates of Penzance. Rex Smith, like, hugged her to right before an exit, right before a solo of his. He got his hand stuck on his sword or something, and she burst out laughing. And suddenly she was playing this, you know, early, whatever is that, early 1900s damsel. And she is suddenly like country, country girl. And she's like slapping her thighs with laughter. <laughs> he came back out, hugged her again to try to get her in the mood. Mm-hmm. And the whole audience cheered with such happiness over a real life moment. Yeah. yeah. But however many decades ago that was, the, the goodwill and the the joy of a mistake was was taught me something about theater that was also yeah. unique, one of a kind delight. Because I think you've just answered the next question, which was, oh, no. and the lesson learned from this wacky moment was that everybody in the building, even if they're not aware of it, there is a risk. There is a precariousness to the theater that is in some ways its most precious commodity because it is almost one of the only things in our world that still has that. Even if you're not aware of it, there's 900 things have to go right every minute. Mm -hmm. And that's amazing. Mm -hmm. And the audience does love it. When it when it doesn't, or when it does, it's it's not about the mistake. It's about we all knew. There's that duality of we all know we're pretending that collective mm-hmm. uh, suspension of disbelief, mm-hmm. and 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 yeah, very well said, Sandy Block. I cannot thank you enough. Uh, this has been. Terrific. Uh, I'm so grateful you joined us today. And like I said, expect another phone call from me. <laughs> Excellent. I'll have, I will answer the phone. Okay. Perhaps Good. <laughs> Good. All right. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you. Be well. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Broadway Biz. If you have any questions about today's episode or the business of Broadway in general, let me know on Instagram at broadwaybizpodcast or via email at broadwaybiz at halluftig.com. Be sure to follow me at Broadway Biz Podcast for updates on everything Broadway Biz, the business of Broadway. Broadway Biz is part of the Broadway Podcast Network. Huge thanks to Dory Berenstein, Alan Seals, and Brittany Bigelow. 
This has been produced by Dylan Marie Parent and Kevin Connor and edited by Derek Gunther. Our fabulous theme music is by Nell Benjamin and Lawrence O'Keefe. To learn more about Broadway Biz, visit bpn.fm slash broadwaybiz. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.